0: Hello, denizens of the internet! This is Dr. Nairi A. Bakalian, and you are listening to Friday Night History, your favorite historical romp with your favorite history dike! Number 48, Season 2, Episode 15. Boshin War, Part 3. Prelude to an Empire's Bloody Birth The Southwestern Coalition led by Satsuma, Choshu, and Tosa domains was the victorious party in the Boshin War Though the last Tokugawa Shogun, Tokugawa Yoshinobu, peacefully resigned his post and returned political authority to the emperor late in the preceding year, he still hoped for inclusion in whatever new political system would form around the imperial court in Kyoto. Due to the fact that he remained the wealthiest man in Japan, he also hoped for some measure of primacy in that hypothetical new political order. But the southwestern coalition outmaneuvered him and it rendered the imperial court beyond his reach by a number of means. These included forgery of imperial edicts, a campaign of arson and terror in Edo, and in Kyoto by surrounding the young emperor Meiji with sympathetic advisors, placing pro-Tokugawa court nobles under house arrest, and by surrounding the imperial palace with its own troops. By both direct and indirect means, the Southwestern Coalition... Now controlled the Emperor, the ultimate source of political legitimacy in Japan. The Shogun was only Shogun, after all, because the Emperor designated him as such. Though there was much that was undecided even then, this control all but ensured that they started the war on the metaphorical high ground. From this starting point, despite periodic turbulence, they never stopped seizing the initiative in their campaign. But their victory was not fated. And before they were even allies, they started with significant advantages. So let's get to know the three big players and the winners, starting from Satsuma. Satsuma Domain was also known as Kagoshima Domain. It was the victorious coalition's largest fiefdom at over 700,000 koku in official size. It was also the second largest domain in Japan after the Maeda clan's 1,000,000 koku Kanazawa fief. It covered a broad swath of territory in two and a half provinces of southern Kyushu, which made it the southernmost domain in the Japanese archipelago. Its daimyo family, the Shimazu, had a branch line which also controlled the small neighboring domain of Sadawara, but Sadawara by and large fell in line with the main Shimazu family and its decisions. The clan also held suzerainty over the Ryukyuan kingdom, which the Shimazu armies had conquered, in the 17th century. More about that in a little bit. If you can name one of the so-called great men of the Meiji era, there's a decent chance they were from Satsuma. Everybody from Admiral Togo Heihachiro to Finance Minister Matsukata Masayoshi to the would-be rebel Saigo Takamori was from Satsuma. They're kind of all over the place in the era that followed, due in no small part to the fact that they drove the coalition which won the Boshin War. The Shimazu family itself was one that had a history about as long as the Date clan did, with its roots in Kamakura shogunate housemen. Like the Date, Tozama status kept the Shimazu out of direct involvement in Tokugawa shogunate politics, though like its northern Tozama counterparts, again particularly the Date, the Shimazu exerted considerable indirect influence, especially through marriage alliances with the shogunal house, and other powerful daimyo families. However, it also had significant geopolitical and international advantages by dint of its location. The long and the short of it is that any domain west of Kyoto had an advantage when it came to more quickly hearing about and getting a hold of foreign books or technology. And if a domain was in Kyushu, Nagasaki was, as it were, right the hell there. It was easier for Satsuma, or Saga, or Kokura, or Kumamoto domain, especially after 1853, to tap into trade that came from or by way of China. Sendai domain, by contrast, was on the far side of the Japanese islands. And while the shogunate nominally controlled Nagasaki, that control was contingent on the support of major domains of the area, whose loyalty to the shogunate grew increasingly tenuous, until by 1867 it was more fiction than anything else. Some forward incursions actually came to Satsuma in the pre-Perry years, which only deepened Satsuma's awareness of foreign trends. The Morrison Mission of 1837 was an example of this, as was the Takarajima Incident of the 1820s. Another thing to bear in mind is that Satsuma control extended into colonized territories where its interface with the outside world was a little bit more direct. Because they were not Japan... The shogun's laws didn't entirely apply there, therefore the Shimazu clan could get away with a lot that just wouldn't fly anywhere else in the country, like trade with the outside world that didn't have to go through Nagasaki. The Ryukyuan kingdom, of course, was the Shimazu clan's biggest conquest and colony. The ruling dynasty, the Shou, continued in their tributary relationship with the Qing dynasty while also being subjects of the Shimazu clan, and by extension the Tokugawa shogun. A delegation from the Ryukyuan court would make a journey up to Edo like Daimyo did. To my knowledge, the Qing dynasty never caught on to this dual relationship when its own emissaries went to Naha, the Ryukyuan capital. Or if they did, they they pretended they hadn't seen anything. During the Perry mission, the US Navy actually stopped in Naha as well. Again, as the colonial overlords of the Ryukyuan kingdom, all this happened in the Shimazu clan's backyard. I should sidebar here and say that oddly enough, after all the other domains of Japan had been abolished by the new Meiji government, it was absorbed into Japan first as a domain and only then as a prefecture. But that's after the Boshin War and beyond our purview right now, so let's move on, shall we? The other notable case of a Tsatsuma colony is that of the Amami Islands. In the Amami Islands, which were neither Okinawa nor part of Kyushu, the shogun's laws didn't apply at all. In Amami, the Satsuma domain maintained a brutal system that kept the island's inhabitants, particularly on Amami Ōshima, impoverished and effectively enslaved, working the sugarcane fields. From the labor of this enslaved population, Satsuma derived major profit from sugarcane harvesting and cultivation. It used this profit to help fund its modernization, particularly its military modernization. In Meiji Ishin no Kagi wa Amami no Sato ni Ari, the key to Meiji Restoration is in Amami's Sugar, Oe Shuzo argues that in fact this ill-gotten income was such a mainstay that it was critical to the entire Meiji Restoration. Satsuma also had an advantage in the composition of its population. It had an unusually high concentration of samurai resident within its boundaries, to an extent unseen in most other places. This was a legacy of the Shimazu clan's peak of military power and territorial control in the 16th century, when thanks to a powerful northward drive against its local rivals, it briefly controlled almost the entirety of Kyushu. Rather than lay off retainers as other defeated and diminished Tozama clans, In the same era did when their territories were reduced by higher authorities Toyotomi Hideyoshi's administration or the subsequent Tokugawa shogunate, the Shimazu clan kept these retainers on the rolls. This rare case of a highly concentrated warrior population gave the domain a large and at least nominally trained population base from which to draw on in the war that eventually swept the archipelago. Satsuma was ironically allied with Aizu domain in the mid-1860s, with which it drove the forces of Chōshū domain from Kyoto in 1864. However, this coalition did not last, with Satsuma quietly building ties with Chōshū and Tōsa, even as it distanced itself from Aizu and the shogunate. How it built those ties will come to in greater detail down the road, but for now, suffice it to say that it was the work of free or loosely attached leaders and intermediaries. These intermediaries not only helped keep the satcho Toll coalition together during the war, but also streamlined the process for incorporating many other domains, some willingly, others unwillingly, over the coming conflict's course. But the domain that really drove the victorious 1868 coalition from the start, the linchpin, was not Satsuma. No, that was Choshu. Ruled by a clan that was defeated at the Edo period's outset, Its retainers had made an intergenerational pledge to overthrow the shogunate one day. The 1860s turmoil gave them that opportunity, but at great cost of two different wars waged against it by the shogunate. And although they didn't succeed the first time, the shogunate dithering allowed the Choshu men to survive and to try again at striking a blow against the House of Tokugawa, starting in the closing days of 1867. This time, things went much, much differently. But to talk about Choshu domain, we'll have to wait until next time. I'm Nairi, and this has been Friday Night History. Now, questions? Friday Night History is a weekly historical romp with me, your favorite history dyke, Dr. Nairi A. Bakalyan. Our theme is Bugha Blue, written by Craig Friedrich, and performed by the U.S. Army Blues, available royalty-free at pixabay.com music. This and more is made possible by listeners like you. Support Friday Night History. Sign up at patreon.com slash riversidewings and get access to transcripts and sources for each episode, as well as bonus episodes, or subscribe at twitch.tv riversidewings to watch gaming, art, and historical bantering. Merch is available at hellaradsparrow.redbubble.com. Thank you so much for being the wind beneath my wings. That's all for this week of Friday Night History. Next time, Boshin War Part 4. My lord, is it time yet? Hope to see you there. And remember who you are and what lights your fire is worth fighting for. I'll see you around.